This episode is brought to you by Major Spoilers VIP members. VIP stands for very important people, and their small monthly contributions ensure that this podcast remains free for all of you. If you would like to become a bronze, silver, or gold VIP member, go to members.majorspoilers.com for more information. I sure do thank you for your support. Now, here's your show. The Major Spoilers podcast covers news, reviews, and of course, spoilers, and goes into detail about the topics discussed. So, if you haven't read, listened, or watched the items they talk about, you might want to come back later. I'm Matthew. I'm Rodrigo. And I'm Stephen, and you're listening to the Major Spoilers podcast, the podcast for pop culture and comic fans, just like you. In this issue, big changes in the Marvel Cinematic Universe and at DC Entertainment. Rewriting the works of Shakespeare and rooting for the villain. Up is down, right is wrong, and everything you know has been retconned. But don't worry, the MSP crew is here to help you sort it all out. Starting with the secret history of Mega City One and its premier lawgiver, Joe Dredd. Three men will enter, but the only one leaving is your boredom, because the Major Spoilers podcast is on the air. Welcome to issue 640 of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Thank you so much for downloading and listening and sharing this episode with a friend. And thank you so much for using that Amazon link at Majorspoilers.com. Every time you make a purchase there, a little bit comes back our way and allows us to keep the lights on for one more day. No, Ashley, this week she had gone to Canada, and I guess she is not back uh, as of the time we are starting this recording. But uh, I did chat with her briefly, and I think she's just caught in traffic right now. So, yay, L.A., that Canadian traffic, man. That let's uh, let's talk about Kevin Feige or Feige. 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 Uh, he's uh, no Feige. longer doesn't. He no longer has to report to Isaac Perlmutter. Well, OK. What does that mean for us? Well, it means a couple of things. So for the longest time, Isaac Perlmutter, uh, Ike, uh, that many people know him by or, or call him, I guess, I don't know. He's been in control of Marvel Entertainment, and he has been since the 1990s when um, he was working at Toy Biz and was instrumental in buying uh, Marvel and making Toy Biz Marvel one company, uh, creating Marvel Entertainment. He is the largest uh, stockholder of uh, Disney stock right now, right. Uh, their largest shareholder. And he still is the CEO of Marvel Entertainment. And up until Friday, uh, or I'm sorry, up until uh, Monday of this week, Marvel yeah. Entertainment controlled Marvel Studios, uh, which, of course, we know Iron Man, Captain America, Avengers, Agents. billions and billions Agents and billions of dollars for Disney. Uh, but uh, Kevin Feige, 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 whatever. Uh, I'm sorry. I, I, I have not heard a definitive I, I, I try to listen to other people say his name, uh-huh. but I've never heard a definitive a different, version yeah. of his name. Everybody says it differently, yeah. Yes. So anyway, Kevin, I'll just call him Kevin. I'm not on a first name basis with him, so I apologize for stepping on a line there. But, um, Mr. Rodriguez. But uh, apparently he has had, and, and he's the head of Marvel Studios, and he has had some issue with uh, Mr. Perlmutter in decision-making, and Perlmutter's historically – very fiscally conservative way of dealing with things. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are stories out there that uh, may or may not be true, including how he complained one time at a movie premiere that the journalists there to review the movie were getting two sodas instead of one. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, that was kind of stepping on, according to reports, it was stepping on 
uh, Kevin's ability to negotiate contracts and things going forward. So he went over to, uh, according to the reports, Bob Iger and Alan Horn, who are the uh, Disney execs, and told them of his complaints. And they said, "Okay, fine, we're just going to reorganize. Marvel Studios is now part of Walt Disney Studios and Marvel Entertainment is still Marvel Entertainment. Mr. Perlmutter no longer has any kind of control over Marvel Studios. He still remains, though, the CEO of Marvel Entertainment, which includes comic books, animation, and television properties. Oh, so Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still under his... Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. is still under his, his control uh, under television. Yeah, it is, it well, is interesting because a lot of the modern TV stuff is very much piggybacking off of... Sure. Um, off of movie stuff. Right. Now, should keep in mind, though, that television and animation properties also include all the stuff that's going on at Disney XD, all the animated stuff at Disney XD, like the new right. Guardians of Agents the Galaxy show Smash, that's coming up and Guardians. Smash and all those kinds of things. So I don't know. And it's not said in this report. And I'm, I'm very interested from the business side to see how this plays out going forward, because it will be very interested to, to see where... Um, where Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. winds up if it's part of Marvel Studios because that's where it's spun out of or mm. if it's part of the television Marvel Entertainment Group. Uh, so that will be interesting to watch. I think this is probably a good move overall because if you've got somebody like uh, Kevin who is making you lots and lots and lots of money, try to make him happy yeah. while trying not to step on the toes of the person who owns at least who got paid like $800 million in cash and $590 million in Disney stock. Uh, still trying to keep him happy. It is. It is like uh, such an interesting, like businessy decision. Oh like, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it seems mm -hmm. to it seems to me that like the actual good thing to do would have been for their boss to be like, "Hey Isaac, why don't you why don't you just let Kevin do his yeah, thing?" But, uh... but instead, it's like. Well, rather than deal with this guy, let's just take this entire division, gut it out, and stick it to something else. Yeah. Like it just—it just seems like. I mean, I think we've all worked. Oh at yeah, places I mean, these kinds of things happen where, all the time where, where somebody is like, yeah. there's like one employee that's giving you problems. So, and all of these mandates from up top come down just to deal with that person instead of like going down and talking yes. to them. Well, but it could also yeah. be that he could be very difficult to, to I think deal with. It, I think so he probably is. Because, let's reorganize. Because it's got to be difficult to I be have... like, hey, employee, you should do this. And for him to be like, I'm actually also, weirdly, technically your boss. Yeah, yeah. Because I own all the shares. Yes. And uh, I have one of the major factors leading to me quitting my previous real world job and making major spoilers my real world job was the fact that we had a person who was extremely difficult to deal with. And the only way... I could get him out from underfoot was to do a reorganization and, and give him yeah. to someone else because it was very extremely difficult and taxing and time consuming. Of course, I never got to reap any of that benefit. I left long before any of that happened, but uh, I can see something similar happening here. Matthew, what's your reaction to this? And then I've got a question for you guys. I have two reactions. One is theoretically, and again, this is, this is just based on, implications and things that i i feel like i am perceiving theoretically our marvel universe cinematically may have opened up more than we thought 
Because there was always questions of people saying, well, will, will X do this? Can we, can we sell an Ant-Man movie? Can we sell a Guardians movie? Marvel Cinematic, Marvel Studios, is willing to take these flyers. And I'm kind of wondering if maybe Marvel Entertainment and their CEO specifically wasn't necessarily willing to take a flyer on, say, well, okay, a Black Widow solo movie. So one of the things that came out during the Sony email leaks is he is the one that uh, had sent the email that said female superheroes – don't don't, don't play in, in movies. Yep. And you can see that they're not they're not squeamish at putting money behind an Avengers Age of Ultron or even an Iron Man 3, putting a lot of money to get a Robert Downey Jr., putting a lot of money into the effects, putting a lot of money into the story, whatever you got to do. If they've been working with a governor with a throttle money-wise, just it kind of makes you wonder what are they going to do now? I well, mean, what could be that next step from, say, when you get into that Infinity War? Mm-hmm. Are we going to see something even, you know, more psychotically amazing than we've seen in the last couple, three movies? Could be. Now, I was not able to locate previous to this recording the actual press release from Disney that announced this. Um, it mm-hmm. didn't seem like it was very forthcoming in a lot of the uh, right. outlets that had this variety first reported on this. Um, and they said uh, Disney did not immediately respond to comments, although they did have a quote from a Disney spokesperson who said this was the next logical step in the company's evolution, was to split the Marvel Studios off from Marvel Entertainment. My question then is, uh, we have seen, with the X-Men, a downplay of the X-Men. In the yeah. comics. In the comics. Sure. We have yep. seen it, and, and toys, mm-hmm. and in animation. Yeah. And in uh, all the other licensed properties. And we have seen a downplay of the Fantastic Four to the point where the Fantastic Four book has been canceled. Right. Because yep. someone at Marvel Entertainment, I don't think we need to mention names, <clears throat> has an issue with somebody else owning his stuff. Mm-hmm. Yep. I wonder now with Marvel Studios, even though it's still part of the parent company, if there's not going to be some animosity delivered out to where, hey, we want to do a Squirrel Girl movie. No, I'm not going to authorize that. I mean, Disney technically owns the characters, but it's part of the comics, and I I wonder what kind of backlash we're going to see, backhanded Mm -hmm. backlash or backstabbing that goes on because of this shift. And that's something that's not going to play out immediately, but we will probably see the effects of this over the next five years. This I I actually had worried about that as well, because allegedly the reason we're not seeing fantastic four and the reason fantastic four is being removed. Like the secret war shirt that I can buy. If I go to the fat guy store has the fantastic four literally edited out of the cover of secret wars. Number right. Right. And that's because they've, they've been removed because we're not going to put them on a burger. Allegedly that is specifically because the rights are. Yeah. That's what I was. That's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, allegedly, I, I would be worried that somehow this is going to handicap our Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. or Peggy Carter show or whatever it is that, you know, they're putting together. Right. In the future, is this going to mean the end of those crossover moments where all of a sudden an episode ends and it's like, go see Captain America for the rest of this story? <laughs> I'm not actually <laughs> upset about that because that, that made me mad in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., but – I mean, are we going to see the end of that that uh, synergy between the TV and the movies? I think it's going to be super fascinating to to see that because from a business standpoint, it would be really stupid to do because everything is owned by the same company. So if you're a major shareholder or the biggest shareholder, 
you would be hurting your bottom line. So it makes sense to go ahead and do that and boost your bottom line and boost your stocks and all of that stuff. Um, but at the same time, we want to do a Squirrel Girl movie. Okay, let's cancel Squirrel Girl in the comics. Or we don't need to make any toys on on uh, Squirrel Girl uh, to go into mm-hmm. the stores if the Squirrel movie Squirrel Girl movie goes forward. That's what I'm. That's what I'm interested in yeah. seeing. Yeah, I I, that's- I think this move happened because two dudes couldn't get along. Mm-hmm. Right. Yep. Like that's the important thing here. So to assume that there's going to be some amount of animosity between these departments that are now basically equal departments under the Disney banner, right? Right. Um, And to imagine that there's going to be some amount of uh, moving and shuffling of properties on both sides to Mm -hmm. potentially either pump their own properties or maybe take a a kick to the shins to the other side, I think we should expect that. I think that is very likely going to happen, even just if there's nothing personal from a purely business perspective, because now you have two, like it used to be that regardless of who was running it, all of these resources were under the same place. Right. So you could move resources around from one area to Mm -hmm. another Mm -hmm. and still show the bottom line to the... Uh, to the bosses and be like, look how much money we made. Now, now these two places, as far as looking up at dad, yes, are, are actually our two separate children yeah. and are in competition with each other. Yes. Uh, so just so people know, uh, Jeff Loeb is the executive vice president. Dan Buckley is the president of print animation and digital units at Marvel Television. But Perlmutter is the CEO, chief executive officer of Marvel Entertainment. So he kind of oversees everything right. that goes on, yeah. even though you would assume that each entity can kind of do its own or each subdivision of Marvel entertainment can do its own thing without having to go talk to dad every single day. But it could, could happen that way. I don't know how that organization works. I haven't seen their organizational tree. I haven't seen an affinity diagram from uh, Walt Disney studios in a while. So I couldn't tell you, but I do know in uh, my past experience in dealing with very bureaucratic business that uh, occasionally you would have to go talk to the big boss, but for the most part, minor day to day stuff, you're left to do whatever you need to do. So Still could be an interesting, tricky situation right. going forward. I, and, and that's why I said from I the business side. That we're going to see fallout sooner rather than later. Yeah, my, I just, I want to follow this from the business side of it just to see how this plays out. Because I don't think, well, I mean, Disney can afford to buy Perlmutter out as CEO if they want. But they can't elect to get rid of him as the CEO because he's the largest shareholder. Right. And so it'd be very hard if he's got, I guess they'd have to... It depends how their voting's yeah, done, too. Yeah, yeah, it depends on the yeah. votes and all that. So I think from the business side, it's going to be very, very interesting. On the flip side of the coin, we look at Diane Nelson. Diane Nelson is the president of DC Entertainment in charge of all the comic books. She's been on board for a couple of years now and has done, I think, a fantastic job. She was instrumental in the New 52 and moving things in a new division. She now has some new job responsibilities. She is uh, the interim um, overseer of the Warner Brothers Consumer <laughs> Products Group following Brad Globe's uh, stepping down last week. So they don't, they say it's in, uh, intermediate uh, or she's the uh, temporary duties, but I actually think that she'd be really good at continuing on the Warner brothers consumer product group, which includes merchandising of DC, Harry Potter and a whole bunch of other stuff because she's done this before she's right. integrated. I think this makes more sense because she's integrated in what's going on on the DC side mm-hmm. that she would know 
hey, let's sell this. Let's right. do this. Not, let's not let somebody else try to negotiate things. I know what's going on. We don't have to fight with one another. It's very easy to get the merchandise out there and sell, sell, sell. I mean, there's this like ideal uh, situation, <laughs> right, where somebody goes to her and is like, hey, you know how you, we ordered 5,000 of a like Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman, Black Canary, and Mr. Terrific uh, sculpts? Or, or action figures. It turns out we accident, accidentally made 50,000 Mr. Terrific sculpts. Yeah, yeah. And she can be like, well, I guess he's getting a new series. Yeah. Yeah. It'd be very easy to, to do that kind of stuff. And I think it's a, I think even though it's I'm more Mr. Terrific would be good, even though I'm not a fan of dumping huge responsibilities on people. Cause mm-hmm. this is a huge responsibility. I mean, it's a whole other, it's a whole other it's like division, two other divisions. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I'm not in favor of it, but in this case, it makes a lot of sense. So while we're taking responsibility away from somebody in one organization, we're adding responsibility to Diane Nelson in uh, the Warner Brothers DC camp. And I think it's a good move here because everything that I've seen now, she I mean, she's at the premiere. She shows up, but I have not read a lot of her stepping in to say things or her stepping right, in. And, right. and uh, right. you know, this whole new 52 or the uh, DCU thing that uh got um Didio and Lee all in a huff this past week. Um she hasn't had to step in and do things. She's just, you know, you guys are doing it and I think she's a real positive factor at at uh, at DC and I'm mm-hmm. glad that they made her president and I think these new job responsibilities will be great for her. Guys, you other thoughts on this? I think you kind of said it best with yeah. the toys and the uh yeah, the, the I mean, comic book tie-ins. Uh, personal, I I would say that if this is a temporary thing, you know, in her position I'd probably try to keep them separated. Oh yeah, yeah. Because the moment that it goes away, that's going to be a mess. Right. Unless what she wants is to keep them together, at which point she'd probably try to dunk the ball as hard as possible, show the bosses that she can do it yeah. and then keep it. Well, because what's interesting is in many of these situations, not saying every situation, okay? My experience is if the president steps down, then the vice president Steps yeah, up, takes over, and takes over temporarily in the interim while they try to find a new president or a new president is being named. Not this case. They're actually going to another president in another division and saying, yeah. "You want to take over on this?" Because uh, that may be saying something about the people underneath a globe. Sure, sure. But uh, I think that's uh, that's very interesting. Matthew, any uh, final thoughts on this? I think that from the perspective of having been in the you know the hierarchies that I've been in previously. This is something that can lead to a better kind of restructuring than what we saw in the Marvel Entertainment example in that she may actually have the ability to create a tree where people under her take on some of her responsibilities on either side, but she's still coordinating and overseeing both the entertainment side and the the, the toys and the things and the frassums to where you actually do have a more cohesive leadership team. And I'd kind of like to see that because the changes that they've been making, specifically on the publishing side over the last couple of years, seem like they're going in a direction that I feel is is positive. It's, you know, it's learning from some what I would deem mistakes. Well, and that, that and was taking the point. them in a direction that 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 I think is really more positive. And I want to see more of that. Yeah. Matthew and I got into a big hypothetical discussion uh, last week on um – on a dueling review podcast and, you know, right the next day, basically after that released Dan DiDio and Jim Lee came out and said, Hey, when we try new things, it takes time to nurture these things. It takes time to foster these things. It takes time to build them up, which is a lot better excuse than to uh, stop bat everything. 
Um, yeah, that's that. that and so me. I think that uh, I think this will have some positive impact later on, especially if you have someone like Diane Nelson who's sitting there and going, you know, Batgirl's really popular. We should be getting more Batgirl merchandise out on the stores because I know people want it. Right. So I, I think yep. it's a I think it's a win win for everybody there. Uh, let's see what else we got. Oh, you want to head over to Majorspoilers.com. Lots of news over there. Tuesdays are the big preview days. If you're looking to see yeah. what's coming out on Wednesday. Tuesday is a good day to head over to the site because that's when we load up the site with previews of almost everything that's out there. Of course, you'll noticeably say, where's the Marvel and DC stuff? Well, you may notice that there's things called favorite nations and not favorite nations, and we are not a favorite nation with DC mm. or Marvel as far as the previews <laughs> and the reviews. Go. Interestingly, though, it seems like their parent companies really like us. Yeah, yeah they do, actually. Uh, Warner, Brothers <laughs> sent me, Warner Brothers sent me earlier this week the uh, first season of... Uh, Gotham on DVD to review. Oh, yeah, nice. Warner, I mean, you know, Warner Brothers and Disney, they really do like yeah, yeah, a yeah. lot of the stuff that we do. We and, have a and, good relationship and D- with them. And DC, you know, we started to open the doors back again with DC and they're starting to send us some stuff. Mm. Marvel has always been good, except when it comes to the reviews and the previews, but they send us all the other sure, stuff too. Sure, sure. Um, but uh, it's interesting that I got this first season of, of Gotham to review. I've talked about it multiple times on the show, but I think what happens is in this case, a lot of people try to fit this TV show into the greater DC oh, the universe DC of things, universe. Yeah. right? Yeah. And that's where everyone fails, sure. including you, me, Matthew, everybody. And so I'm going to take we this time constantly. Yes, I'm going to take I this time fail. to promote. I'm going to take this time to promote next week's episode where we will have Dr. Peter Coogan in talking about superhero iteration. Yeah, And it's going to be an interesting discussion. It's a new kind of idea that he's noodling around, and you'll hear it kind of evolve as we're having our discussion next week. But you want to check that out next week on the Major Spoilers Podcast. In the meantime, let us get to some reviews. Reviews. How many of you like the uh, the Scottish play? <gasps> Ooh, don't say the name. It's it's really good. Uh, you know, the, the Shakespeare. Alas, poor Yorick. No, I knew that's, him. that's Hamlet. That's, yeah. A fellow of infinite jest. That's no? also Hamlet. That's still Hamlet. Romeo, yep. Romeo. How about this? This will be a lot Therefore, better for you. The title of the book that yeah. I'm reading this week is Toil and Trouble Number 1. It's from Boom Studios, their imprint, Archaea uh, Entertainment that, that they have, or just Archaea, I guess. But this is the retelling of, of Macbeth, mm-hmm. but... You're seeing it from. You said it. No, but I'm not talking. We're not about, a, in this case, we're I'm not, not talking a, about the play. Also, this is not a theater. It's okay. Yes. We can well, say it. This is a stage. Uh, but in this case, instead of looking at it from an audience perspective of seeing the play develop before your eyes, we're looking at it from the witch's perspective. Ooh. And it's very clear from early on that uh, one of the witches comes back from being exiled, and they're like, "Okay, we all have to agree that Macbeth cannot become king right now." Duncan has to become king. And you can tell that there's a lot of uh, inner turmoil between the witches. And one of them decides, hey, wait a minute. Duncan needs to die. And it was a mind trip to read this from a different perspective and see how the fates or the witches intervene in this tale and which direction it's going to go next. It is. It's really better than I thought it was going to be. Although I would suggest if you're not familiar with the play, at least go onto Wikipedia and read through the synopsis of the play so you understand who all the main characters are and what their roles are in the actual history of what's going on. Uh, because um, because there's a lot of that. You need to know who the players are in order to understand what's going on in this book. Um, the art is freaking fantastic. 
Um, I, I cannot believe it's a uh, Kelly and Nicole Matthews. And I just cannot believe how good this art is. It's flowy. It kind of, it sometimes feels like it has a cartoony feel to it, but it is, wow. I was just blown away. And this is a six issue miniseries, and I'm going to be reading every single one only because we're looking at this, something that many, many people are very familiar with, but we're looking at it from a different perspective and seeing how, uh, the witches, who appear a couple of times in the play, how they ultimately have a bigger part in this entire story. So go check it out. I'm giving Toil and Trouble number one. It's out this week from Boom Studios. I'm giving it four slices of meatloaf out of five. The only thing that that I'm dinging it on is the fact that a little bit more of here who here are who all the players are would be useful. They try to explain it in the text, but for me, I kept getting it muddled up like Matthew did with Hamlet uh, at times. Um, but um, but it is good. It is certainly worth checking out. Toil and Trouble, number one. So you don't Boom know Studios. who Malcolm and Donald Bain are? Uh, Matthew, what do you have for us this week? I have a comic book. Oh, yeah. It looks like Hank you're reading the book Johnson. that I was uh, looking forward Agent to reading. Yes. Well, well good. It serves you right for King Tiger. What, what was it? Was it King Tiger? King Tiger. King yeah. Tiger. He yeah. stole that from both of us. I know he did. <laughs> I've got a couple more Hank I'm probably going to steal from you, too. Uh-huh. So, Agent of Hydra should not be confused with... Fred Garvin, male prostitute. That's a different thing. Hank Johnson, agent of Hydra. Uh, this I thought was written by Howie Mandel. Turns out it's written by David Mandel. Art by Michael Walsh. It's a one shot in the Secret Wars sort of oeuvre. Secret Wars, of course, you know, the universes were destroyed. A few of the heroes of the Ultimate Marvel and the regular Marvel Universe are left on Battleworld. And Battleworld is a big patchwork planet. Each part of that planet is from a chunk of an old world, which kind of implies a a multiple Earth scenario like DC has with Earth 1, Earth 2, because this issue starts with a Steranko Nick Fury pastiche, who is Hank Johnson. And in the first two pages of the book, we see Nick Fury doing this beautiful Jim Steranko climb up the side of the building into the Hydra thing and then kicking Hank Johnson in the face. At which point, that's the last we see of Nick Fury, and the story goes with Hank Johnson as he goes home, ices his wounds, deals with his family, deals with his uh, his wife and his kids, and all of the things that he has to do, including going to the uh, Hydra funeral for his friend, whom Nick Fury killed. And it's one of those concepts that is a lot more fun to describe than it is to read. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. It it kind of is because there's a lot of really wonderful stuff in here because Modoc in a suit and tie is leading agents of aim in a round of amazing grace at his friend's funeral but then it just kind of gets ground down into the the day-to-day stuff. It's like you remember in the 80s when everything was all about how dark and terrible it is to be a superhero and you know, bending your boots and fixing the runs in your tights and I can't armor my head. There's a little bit of that here without the wild fun stuff. There's two whole pages where the joke is kids are allergic to peanuts. He sent his, his child to school breaking the rules because they had peanut butter. That's the whole joke. And there are interesting bits here where his son's little league team, the tiny hydras, goes up against the S.H.I.E.L.D. Little League team, the junior agents, and we find that Bob has a fun relationship with uh, Clay Quartermain of S.H.I.E.L.D., 
because they, you know, they live in the same housing development and their kids all play together and they go to the same birthday parties. But again, the, the jokes are good. And then there's these stretches between them that just kind of drag a little bit. Uh, turns out Madam Hydra is sexually harassing him at work. And there's one panel that did make me snort out loud. Madam Hydra is leading a big Hydra thing about their giant killer weapon. And you see a little panel of one Hydra guy going, she's not wearing underpants again. And I snorted at that. And then I felt bad. I really felt bad for snorting at that because it's, it's funny, but it's, it's, it's the Lorne Michael thing. It got a laugh, but did it get the right laugh? And as I went through this book, I felt like I didn't necessarily get the laugh that I wanted. It's not bad. I would still recommend it to Steven and to people who are, you know, if you have. Well, a I was going to ask. So because I've got the I bought it, uh, but I haven't yes. read it yet. Uh, yes. You know, Tag and Bink uh, from yes. the Star Wars stuff. Is it like that? Yes. It is in the same ballpark. They're okay. playing the same sport. Um, and that, that I think is the successful part of the story. If you know the tropes of superhero comics and specifically Nick Fury type super spy comics where you knock your microphone off onto your desk while you're talking. Actually, that didn't happen. That was my actual life. So, you know, I'm sorry. The, the, the super spy type comics, those Nick Fury, James Bond, Matt Helm sort of almost superhero things. This is funny. This is entertaining, and it's got some really nice bits in it. It's it's like 10 minutes of stand-up with three minutes of really solid jokes and three minutes of okay and then three minutes of kind of awkward silence. So I'm going to go straight down the middle, two and a half slices of meatloaf. Again, not a bad book. I do recommend it to Stephen. I recommend it to people who are heavily familiar with and kind of into deconstructions of the superhero type stuff. You know, Stephen talks about wanting to get away from the capes and tights and the cliches of that. Well, this book does that. That's why I say all the time that um, what's the cleanup crew? What, what's the what's the group in the Marvel damage universe? control? Damage control. Damage control. How I think a, a series like Damage Control is interesting because you're not seeing it from the superhero perspective. You're seeing it from right. all the behind the scenes people, just like Tag and Bink walked you yep. through the entire Star Wars trilogy from their yep. point of view and that's what i was hoping that uh, hank johnson was going to be is let's take a look at hydra from not yeah. the main character's point of view so it sounds well, funny you know although had, having hydra and Beth. yeah there's there's some rosencrantz and gildensterning going on in in bob johnson Agent okay hydra. you mean hank, hank johnson bob johnson <laughs> no uh it was uh johnson johnson and johnson all right, Howard two and a half Johnson, slices. Agent, Agent of Rockridge. Rodrigo, what do you have Did for I tell us this you week? we watched uh, Blazing Saddles with the 11-year-old? Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, let's see. I have Echoes. Oh, yeah, a lot of people are interested in that. Echoes, number one. Echoes, Echoes. Um, now, this is a an independent comic. Uh, from Damarojo Studios, mm-hmm. or possibly Damarojo Studios. Not entirely sure. Um, it comes to us from uh, Roberto Cruz. Yeah. So, 
written by Roberto Cruz and art by Francisco Rodriguez. Um, and it is, yeah. So, um, this is a story. It's like a fantasy story Mm -hmm. about a young man who loses his father and then must go on to defend his family's honor. So in that sense, you know, kind of a a straightforward, uh, premise in, in, in a broad sense, um, it is not kind of uh, your usual fantasy. There seems to be a lot of, there's like a lot of, I would say, kind of anime influences mm-hmm. in this as far as like the narrative and the the character um, kind of setups. Um, the main character is in a group with his childhood friend. So the main character is a boy. Childhood friend is a girl. Um, talking cat maybe, or like, anthropomorphic cat who is still like a cat right like not not like a person cat but Mm -hmm. maybe like a very intelligent pet type cat um and like a wizard guy um as it's you know it's it's pretty interesting you don't get a lot of what's going on because so much of it is covered by or so much of this comic is that exposition of like the dad leaving and then dying Mm -hmm. and then you kind of get half of a fight scene. Right. Um, It's in black and white. Uh, The art is very... um, It's uh, stylized. It's kind of uh, cartoony, if you will. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's not, you know, necessarily super duper, like, Saturday morning cartoon animation, but it is... It does have, like, that very stylized thing. Design-wise, um, it's kind of like big shoulder pads, big weapons mm-hmm. kind of guys and stuff. Mm-hmm. I will say, you know, and this is not meant as a, as a, as a point against necessarily because I like it. There's a lot of battle chasers here. Like, that, you know, it's very, before you said anything, yeah. I looked at the first page of this, the first actual page of story is like, oh, this is battle chasers. Look at the rest because... Yeah, yeah. I'm, the big, I'm looking at it and the double page spread there. Yep. The double, I was like, per, oh, yeah, this the is double exactly. page spread is so battle chasers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And again, that's not necessarily a, a no, bad thing. No, no, like, no, no. I like battle chase. Big, like, guys with big shoulder pads and giant hands punching each other while, like, and some of them are robots and some of them are magic. Like, that's that's a genre unto itself. Oh, right? yeah, yeah. Uh, Joe Madureira doesn't own that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's okay. Uh, but again, you know, so if you like battle chasers, then Echoes is probably something that you'd be interested in. Um, there are... Some things with the writing. I think this was translated from Spanish, and it is well translated, but there are some, like, artifacts of it. Like, some, sometimes things are said in a very roundabout way, because the way that you would phrase that in Spanish, um, you need just more words to convey it. Like, there's probably a more succinct way to phrase it in English, um, and, um... So this is may, maybe one of those instances where it is well translated. I didn't. I don't think I found any like, you know, syn- syntactical errors or anything like that. If that's sure. even a word, um, where you you know, in in any sort of like mistranslation, which which we've seen in the past. You know, I remember we've we've seen some translated stuff, and when the translation is done, I think a lot of the times by the same people who are writing the comic or just by someone in that same uh area a lot of the times you can have issues there's no real issues here it's just 
the language is kind of awkward, and I think it comes from being a translation. And maybe there's nothing that they could have done about it, right? I mean, it's easy for me to say, like, well, oh, sure. I would have phrased this differently, mm-hmm. but then again, I don't have to make it fit into that same text box. So, you know, maybe there's something to that. Which would be interesting. Um, hmm. It'd be interesting only because uh, Roberto Cruz has written some mainstream DC comics, sure, too. Sure. So, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it is a weirdness there. Well, and, and maybe it's entirely on purpose. There's... yeah. It's possible it that a giant uh, ape thing. Yeah. So uh, the the crux of the story here is that, um, and and you see that uh, giant ape monster appear there at the end. Spoiler alert: the at least also on the cover. So also spoiler. Alert. Right. Right. <laughs> um, the the main character is conflicted because this ape monster lives in his hammer, I think, or mm-hmm. is summoned by the hammer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I like to think that it lives in the hammer. Um, and the last thing his dad did while he was alive before he died an ignominious death was to send the ape and the hammer back to protect the son. And so the son kind of hates the ape because he didn't stay to protect his dad and he instead followed his orders and went to protect him. So there's some tension there, which is not really explored because, again, a lot of it is covered up by the backstory. But I'm sure we'll get it in the next issue. Um, all together, let me see here. Uh, I give it three slices of meatloaf. It looks interesting. It does. It looks very interesting. I think, you know, I want to say it's like 22 pages. Yeah. And... A lot of it is like cool people jumping and punching mm-hmm. and stuff, but mm-hmm. also a lot of it is like th- that ex- that quiet like exposition of like family hugging each other. Yeah, um, it's it, like I, it feels like I didn't get enough story in this. Like I, I almost feel like this should have been either entirely exposition or entirely the comic about them fighting, and mm-hmm. then we should have been kind of given the exposition afterwards, maybe in a, in a following issue or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. It, it, there's something about it that feels slightly off, but there's nothing wrong with it. No. Like it's a way of telling it and it's reasonable. And I think, um, perhaps when the first volume is complete, um, it will, and you read it together, it'll read smoothly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but, ending it where it did it does end in kind of a cliffhanger you know the hero makes a decision but then we don't get to see the end here's the one thing i mean this is out now in comiXology it's just released uh, Mm -hmm. in the last couple of weeks or so uh they just sent it to us like two days ago uh here's what i'll say about the art really really cool but i think this would be something that might work better in color only because of the super contrast in the black and whites with no shading yeah which means you get to a very busy page and certain characters are lost completely in the page because you don't see that contrast. Yeah, it is. It is like I hate to say it is what it is. Um, but clearly, this is a comic that was from the. It's not like it was meant to be in color. And right, they just right. Didn't colorize it. Right. This is a comic that is shaded and super stark, meant to yeah, be in either, black and white. It's black and, and white. This, and nothing like else. the. The the way that I if this comic was was then added like if color was added to it it would be very difficult because 
ingrained into it are these super stark shadows, right? And they work really well when you're seeing like a pile of skulls yes. in the foreground. But you're right. Mm-hmm. When, you see that, the, when you see the, just on the first page, when you see the, uh, the room, right? so much stuff in there, you're losing right. bits and, and pieces. And, and, that, and that is an issue there. It's like, it's not gray tones. It mm-hmm. is just black and white. And again, it makes that big golem look really good. Like if you oh, look yeah. at the shading, yeah. kind of like there's, it's great because like half of the golem, the, the part that is mm-hmm. in shadow is all shaded negative. Yeah. It's all negative, yeah, it's right? It's all negative, yeah. So it's like all of the white lines become black. All of the uh, fill-in in white becomes black. It's really but, cool. But where is Mummy Girl? And where is right. Cowboy it's Girl? Like, yeah, and it's like she's How many like gremlins are running and, this machine? Yeah, and it, it, it is. It's very difficult. Like, you have to scrutinize yes, it. you do. And, and here's the other, th- here's and the other a, thing. And that's a good thing, actually. Well, here's the other thing. We got this digitally. Right. So it kind of depends on our reader and our ability to mm-hmm. see that. So maybe in comic book form. So that is important. We are looking at this digitally. Maybe right. if you pick up the print comic, if the print comic well, is even available, it's, now I, I think of it. When they sent it to us, they said specifically this was coming out in Comixology. Now it oh, was available. Well, it was available in print in Puerto Rico. Both right. issues have sold out. Okay, in Puerto Rico, so, so well, maybe we shouldn't even go there because it's likely that this will mm-hmm. not be available in print at least for a while. Right. Exactly. So yeah. Uh, well, then you know, if you're looking at it digitally, you do have the option to zoom in. Zoom in. Yeah. So there's help. a lot to see on the in the big in the big panels. There is a lot to see and scrutinize. Right. Yeah. There's a lot going on. the The character designs are complex mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. So that simultaneously doesn't help in the big images, but also gives you a lot to look at and yes. a lot. To a lot to analyze so there's a there's a lot going on in this comic a lot of interesting stuff it is not it's not your capes and tights fair it's not your usual fantasy fair so i would say i would you know, say it's battle chasers meets a uh, league of legends yeah it's like um it's like if it's like what if battle chasers was a comics with an x you know what i'm talking about mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like that's that's what this looks like Cool. All right. Uh, thank you for that, Rodrigo and Matthew. Uh, Ashley, not here this week. I think we mentioned at the top of the show, maybe if yep. I didn't. Yep. But uh, we assume she's stuck in traffic somewhere, and we miss her, and she will hopefully be back next week. I do want to send a big shout-out and a big thank you to Tweaked Audio for sponsoring this episode of the Major Spoilers Podcast. Got to tell you, if you're on a long road trip, you want to have some Tweaked Audio headphones mm. because more than likely you're going to need to talk to somebody. You're going to get on the phone or a phone call is going to come in. Not only do these tweaked audio uh, headphones have great music and audio reproduction, I suggest getting the one with a built-in microphone because then when someone calls, you just push on it on the little thing in the uh, cable, shuts off your music. Again, this is assuming you've only got one earbud in, but then you can just have the conversation with whoever it is. Or maybe you're out on a walk. Maybe you're out on a walk and you need to take a phone call. Well, it's right there. You don't have to pull out your phone. You don't have to worry about somebody coming up and clubbing you from behind because they, you've got the uh, you've got those white uh, Apple identifiable earbuds. You've got something that looks good, sounds good, fits in your ears really good. And best of all, when you use the checkout code MAJOR at tweakedaudio.com, get 33 and a third percent off the price. Thanks, Tweaked Audio. You guys are awesome. Hooray. Uh, so, uh, this week we are doing the major spoilers listener pick. So you can head over to majorspoilers.com right now and you will find next month's selections that you can look up and, uh, based on which book you vote on, that's what we will review in an upcoming episode. So head over to majorspoilers.com right now. If you have a suggestion, send them to me and I will put them on the list 
And then every time this comes up, I will select the next four that are in the list, put them up, and then uh, let you guys vote. Somebody was like, well, how, what are all the books on the list now? It's like, doesn't really matter. They'll all show up eventually. Uh, but if you're like, well, what if I send in a suggestion twice? Well, guess what? There's more of a chance that that will rise up to the top and get on the list faster if there are multiple requests from different people to review yeah, the From same different book. people. Yeah, from different people. From don't, different Yes, people. I don't want Matthew to send in 52 emails with, hey, can you guys review uh, Legion of Superheroes introduction of so-and-so, please? Because the answer will be no. I will write it down once and it will eventually First. get up on the list. This no week, though, what I ask, the answer is no. <laughs> no, it's not. It's <laughs> yes, just every it no. It's just every joke he tells won't want. Uh, so this week we are looking at uh, the listener pick is Judge Dread Origins, which uh, is interesting because it comes after the last Judge Dread volume that we read, which uh, yes. which was what Shattered or the Scorched Earth series that the we cursed did earth. Cursed, cursed earth the cursed earth is pretty much is super old school stuff it's yeah, from yeah. Like the early 80s i want to say so this the cursed one, earth is the stuff that we read so. yeah but this one comes after after we find out uh what happened with uh, president johnson or whatever his name was so that <laughs> that comes up uh, again in the story but i will say this about the piece from uh, john wagner and carlos uh what's his Esguera. last name Esguera, is Esguera. that oftentimes it feels like they're making it up as they're going along. That is my only problem because it's like, so the idea is the story opens up with someone has stolen the original judge's body mm-hmm. right. and they're demanding judge it. Eustace Fargo. Yes. Judge Fargo's body has been stolen. They want a billion million dollars to get it back. Judge Dredd is a clone of uh, judge Fargo and he's been yes. tasked to go out and find out if Eustace is really dead or, you know, what's really behind this. And he takes along a small team with him. And on the road, we are told it's Canterbury Tales. Uh, we are told mm-hmm. some tales of what really happened to Earth right. that led them to this position. And along the way, this- we find out that uh, President Johnson cheated the election. We found out how the judges came to take over. We found out how Mega-, Mega City One became one of the few remaining cities there. We find out how Judge Dredd and his brother Rico uh, came to be. Uh, we really get a back history of everything going on in Mega City. How and more importantly, and more importantly, we get like maybe 30 pages of baby dread and baby Rico running yes. around the street, shooting people. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. I think that my biggest complaint about this book, um, and I actually have read parts of this when it came out in like 2008, 2007, um, is that one of my rules of dread. And I think one of the creator's rules of dread is you never take off his mask, right? Dread right. never dehelms. You don't see Joe dreads face. Right. And you, they, they so, do that same thing with, with the President Eustace or uh, I yeah. mean, uh, uh, Judge, Judge Fargo, Fargo. Because yeah. Fargo has theoretically Dredd's face. Yeah. So this is a conscious attempt to do a year one type story and give a deep backstory to a character who is meant to be a faceless arm of the, of the, uh, the authority He's basically kind of a jackbooted thug in many of his appearances because they'll point out the terrible things about Mega City One and the oppressive judgeship. He's like, don't care. I've got a job to do. So on the one hand, I appreciate the amount of work they had to go to 
to put together this backstory and to give oh, us, sure. you know, a, and on the other hand, I, I feel like parts of this may fall under, there are things other than just taking off the helmet that maybe Judge Dredd isn't the best character for. Because there are, there are several points in this where all Judge Dredd and his six little Judge newbies sit down and you have a Canterbury Tales moment, like you said, where Dredd narrates things that happened 150 years ago. And the use of what feels like contemporary American political situations to set up this terrible dystopian future really kind of got under my skin after a while. There, there are a lot of, and I think this is one of the maybe nice points about Judge Dredd is it's very pointing the finger at American yeah. politics and saying, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, here's what's wrong, to the point yeah. where – what would happen if a president really wanted to run a uh, uh, rig an election and he yeah. wanted to do it because he wanted to have absolute power and anyone who didn't believe in his uh, system was going to be nuked, which is the reason why President Johnson wanted to be in power yeah. because he wanted to nuke everyone who yeah. didn't agree with him so that America could be the the ruler of the globe. Um, it's a yeah. um, so I, I can understand because there are points where, yes, it. I even skimmed a, over multiple British, sections because it seemed very, uh, very repetitive. Yeah, it's a British set of creators in a British comic making some very salient and, in many cases, very scathing points about American culture and American political culture specifically. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And some of it, you know, six, seven, eight years later, hits even harder with some seeming prescience of some of the political stuff going on right oh, now, sure. which really in a way is wonderful because you're like hey way to go creators that's that's you know nice way to extrapolate and on the other hand you're like damn it yeah so i have a question because i didn't look this up how often does um i guess judge dread is always in 2000 ad how often does 2000 ad right. come out is it a weekly book 2000 ad is a weekly but Judge Dredd isn't in every issue. Okay, because that is the the only reason that I could come up with in my mind as I was reading this is why there was a lot of repetition is because mm -hmm. you have to, the same way with Prince Valiant yeah. or the old Spider-Man uh, daily strips is, mm -hmm. your first panel of every strip in the newspaper was a repeat of what happened before, and then you only had three panels to tell your story. So a lot of it seemed repetitive to me because it's like, okay, well, here's where the next bit would right. be at. And you have to catch the reader up on what's gone on before. And instead of having a previously in section, you've got the characters telling you the exact right. same thing that they told you four panels before. Exactly. It's very much serial storytelling in the sense of the old school movie serials. Yeah. Because 2000 AD is a weekly book. And I want to say Dread is maybe eight or ten pages of those books. And then the rest of the stuff is other you know, anthology material. I think Rogue, Tro Rogue Trooper is in there now. And at one point, they did like a Shaun of the Dead series, which I think mm. was interesting. But mm. I can't get 2000 AD anymore, sadly. Well, you can't get it. And I, um, I, I can't. My my local outfits don't have it. And so can here's, you buy Here's it the cool like thing. The, you can buy it digitally. It is available ooh. through the 2000 AD store. Now, you are pay, paying uh, British prices. I didn't look to see if 2000 AD had gotten into Comixology yet, although it wouldn't surprise me if they are on that service very soon. Uh, because Comixology has been announcing a lot of um, new mergers and stuff. But you can get these books digitally. 
uh, from the 2000 AD website, which is how we got our copy. I went ahead. I couldn't, you know, obviously I couldn't find a copy here. So I was like, well, I'll go over to their website. I'll purchase it. It's a free, I mean, it's a DRM free PDF or CBZ that you can, that you can read. So that's nice too. And if somebody needs to borrow it, like Rodrigo needs to borrow it, that's okay too. So I would, I would, yeah. So yeah, you could definitely check that out. Yeah. And when it comes to Judge Dredd, I've always found that for me, Dread is one of those books that's got the opposite of Sandman. I like reading Dread bits and pieces at a time. I like re- reading Dread in like incremental bits and pieces because it's easier to kind of slide my consciousness into this terrible crapsack future and then jump right back out for a while. Yeah. Because a lot of Dread is a lot of Dread. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there, there's a lot. This has got a lot of pages to it, almost 200 pages that we're reading here. And um, I thought it got a little wordy, and I will admit that there were portions. It's like, well, this is repetitive. I'm skipping this section. I'll, I'll look at the pictures and kind of pick up a few words per panel, but it's time to speed read through a lot of this stuff. Rodrigo, what was twin your... 12-year-old judges. That's, that's your selling point. <laughs> oh, that's the part that I read through the fastest, because it's just like, yeah, they're just shooting people. It's pew, uh, pew, pew. They're trying to restore order, pew, pew. and uh, there you go. Yes, you can get 2000 AD available on Comixology as well. So oh, there, there you go. go. Oh, cool. I didn't think it was. Yeah. So what did you think of the story, Rodrigo? Uh, I thought I thought it was interesting. Um, I I feel that any time you go in and have a, a story that fills in the gaps, you are going to have some issues. Right. I think a big part of the appeal of Judge Dredd and, and those stories is that it starts out with like, in the far future, Earth has been scorched to a crisp. Yeah. Only Mega City One stands on the building, you know, and so on and so forth. Yeah. But when you go in and fill how you got from, you know, uh, like norm, like today's politics, mm-hmm. all the way to that, you actually take away a lot of the mystique. Yeah, right? it's the, kind of like there how is a, there is a big section in the book where they're like, okay, here's what's happening every ten years right, since right. nineteen ninety nine. Here is or blow for blow everything that happened that got us from normal Earth yeah. to cursed Earth. Right, right. And the the issue with that is that it's kind of a phantom menace type situation. It's mm-hmm. like, oh, well, You're this questions nobody this, asked. This well, this evil empire is only in power for twenty years, mm-hmm. right? Kind of a thing, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what it feels like a lot of the time. Is like, oh, so this like ancient mutated thing, like it only manifested in the last fifty years, yeah. right? Yeah, and it's it, it, there's just a lot of stuff that's like that. That said, yeah. I feel that Judge Dread is strongest. When it is wagging a finger in every direction, right? Mm -hmm. It's saying, (laughs) you, America, you are bad and stupid. And it's saying, you, the masses, you are bad and stupid. And you, the government, you are bad and stupid. And also, we, the judges, we are bad and stupid. And I think that a lot of the stuff from the inception of Judge Dredd, and I haven't read everything, to today... Um, a lot of the stuff that we've seen loses sight of that. Mm-hmm. The yeah. initial idea of Judge Dredd is supposed to be terrifying. Yeah. This idea that like, they've done away with due state. process. Yeah. It's a military state. 
one person or like a handful of people get to be judge, jury, and like that's right. the tagline, yeah, right? Yeah. Judge, jury, and executioner, yeah. and ride a cool motorcycle, vroom vroom. <laughs> um, I am the law. I am the law. Like also, I was a vampire <laughs> in that one movie. If you saw it, nobody saw Priest. But anyway, no. But I have it, and I want to watch it though. Yeah. Um, like, you know, he does a good job in all of that stuff. I'm, I'm sorry. That's kind of a spoiler, though, that he becomes a vampire. No, not really. I no, it's not. It was in no, the previous. It was in the previous. In any case. We're talking about two different people. Yeah, though. we are. <laughs> it's Carl Urban. Carl yeah. Urban, yeah. Judge and, Dredd, which yeah, right. Carl Urban, Judge Dredd is fantastic. You know you know what is great about the Carl Urban, Judge Dredd? He gets that bottom yes. lip right. Yeah, yeah. He gets all like, always like, the other thing I love about look. The other thing I love about the Carl Urban, uh, Dredd movie, which everybody should really watch, is that from an actor perspective, he is like committed to wearing that helmet and never showing his face mm-hmm. because that's the way it is in the comic. And you don't fall into this role of, well, I'm the actor. Everybody has right. to see Spider-Man loses his mask yes. in the last Or Sylvester Stallone scene, has right. to take his helmet off right, every, right, every right. five minutes in that, right. that Judge Dredd movie. Sure. So if you, have not Judge seen, Dredd movie. if you have not seen the Carl Urban Judge Dredd movie, go and yeah, see it right sure. now. Stop this podcast. We'll wait for you <laughs> and we'll come back. That Judge Dredd movie makes the mistake of having Dredd be a freedom fighter against what he represents. Right. Dredd is not a freedom fighter against what he represents. Dredd represents exactly what he represents, and he will kill you. And I think that's what that this is book... That is what Dredd... Well... And, and I think but, that's what this book is and doing. That's, that's what I was getting at, right? Is like, this book brings you back to that, brings you back to this Judge Dredd, who, but also this Dredd is older and has become a little bit more flexible. Mm-hmm. And... It drops the bomb on him at the end, and that is huge. That is huge for the Judge Dredd comic because, um, in through this issue and through what you've seen, Fargo is this monolith, right? right? He was the first judge. Right. He stood mm-hmm. for justice. He was everything that's good about the judges, right. and that's what Judge Dredd wants to be, right? And at the end, you get that huge bombshell. And again, that was the strongest moment in this book. It was played correctly, even though the book weirdly meanders through mm-hmm. history mm-hmm. and it's like yep. when it's not it's literally just pages and pages and pages of judge dread shooting hillbillies mutant yes. hillbillies yes like yep. that moment was still very strong for me oh, yeah. because i have a slight attachment to the judge dread character and i like the premise of things were shit so we made them shittier right like in, in a sense and I, and, and and it really kind of knocks the boat and then it ends you don't know what his decision is no and but i think that that is part of the thing too is that throughout the story you find out that um judge fargo was not the shining star that everyone thought he would be because he actually bent a few rules or he bent one rule right that really shook judge fargo up and caused him to resign his position and go through a fake death and all these kinds of things and then we know because Joe Dredd is a clone of him that there may be other things besides just the DNA p- part of the Dredd that is uh, Fargo, but also maybe he's not as perfect as he wants to be. And that's where you leave that ending at the end where, you know, uh, Joe Dredd just before he dies, or I'm sorry, um, uh, Fargo tells Joe Dredd just before he dies something about, you know, we have to make yep. change. We have to do these things. Right. It's like we and were it, wrong about yeah. this. Yeah, and then and then you were left with we Judge Dredd sitting there going, yeah, he didn't tell me anything, but you know in the way that it's written and the way it leaves off that he's really contemplating this and maybe thinking, maybe I'm not as perfect as as my creator. Well, it cracks open all these questions. Yeah, it basically. does. It does. And I thought from that part it was very good, but you're right. 
the meandering where you have to yeah. spend an issue yeah. or two rescuing well, and, the normals and, and from here's the, the thing. Uh, like from the when I first mob. started reading this, I just assumed that it was going to be an anthology because yes. the very first chapter of this mm-hmm. is a caper. Yes, that yeah. barely invo- involves Judge Dredd, and then it just kind of open it's like a zero issue right mm-hmm. it's like they wrote the rest of it yes and then they i mean it literally might have been this I like don't think the so. art is different well that's that's the thing we'll get to in a moment but yeah i think in when you look at it it's saying this is from issues 1500 and something to this and then there's a gap and then it's this number of issues to this number of right, issues right. so that may be it too is what one was a yeah. lead up so to. i was like oh so it's gonna be lots of different little stories we're never gonna find out what happens to the box yeah. next issue here's what happens to the box now this whole thing is what is actually happening right, in the right, book right, right right let's talk about the art oh that first chapter was such a treat for me. I was just looking at that art and that and going, oh my God, if this whole series is, is this way, I'm right. going to love it, love it, love it, love it, love it. Not to say that the rest of the uh, book wasn't bad, but it wasn't that first chapter and I felt really disappointed. It's almost like the artist on the cover is not the artist on the inside. Right. And I felt very mis- misled and was somewhat let down by the art uh, going forward from that. That's my well, opinion. Well, that first chapter is Kev Walker from, uh, that I know from Marvel Zombies. Yeah. And he has a very weird, moody, dark style. And, yeah. of course, if you if you look at it, it all takes place in a rainstorm. So even the judges are wearing rain capes, which yeah, gives yeah. it this whole moodiness. Oh, yeah. And then we cut over awesome. to Carlos Esquera. I yeah. think Carlos Esquera may have created Judge Dredd visually. I, I want to say he's one of the creators. And someone's yelling at me right now. But the thing that's fascinating about it is... Escara has a very specific style, and he did um, he did the tail end of the boys, and he did the hero gasm specifically those uh, four issue one shots with the boys that were so dark and so weird and so terrible. As much as I like Kev Walker, I actually like the Escara stuff better. Oh, that, that's fine. I mean, yes, he is the co creator of Judge Dredd. Yep, John Wagner and uh, Carlos Escara co creators. Yep. Because there's a point where we get into uh, Judge Fargo's backstory and we find uh, an entire village full of uh, basically inbred hicks who are relatives of Fargo who all have Judge Dredd's chin. Yeah. Regardless of who they are. So the school and they all arm call themselves, has Judge Dredd's chin. And they all go by the same first name, Eustace. Yeah. Yeah. They're all named Eustace and they all have the same chin. And it's such a hysterical, goofy, cartoony moment in the midst of this. And here we are on the cursed earth, and everything is terrible and awful. And also, here's these inbred hicks who all have my face. Yeah, I just I I found that to be so endearingly goofy that I kind of looked past the parts of it that were a little there. There's some weird cross-eyed issues here and there. Well, that's probably because they were mutants. They actually had crossed eyes. That could be it. And one mutant had like 27 heads. Yes. But yeah, the the thing that really got to me was the point where all of the judges are on downtime and they're sitting in a circle and they've all got their helmets off except for Dread. Yeah. That there well, are two even, things actually. Even when, when, even when they go to Fargoville and he gets mm-hmm. beat up and thrown in the camp, he's still wearing his helmet and they have a great write-up saying – let him keep his helmet on because he should not, we should not have to look at this abomination. That is somebody who is <laughs> stealing the idea of our beloved yeah. Eustace Fargo. And I was like, yeah. when I first read it and I saw him still wearing the mask, I was like, well, that's kind of out of the, takes me out of it. And then they immediately Covered respond it. with, 
oh, he's got to yeah. keep his face covered because he's they, an abomination. They covered his head with a lampshade. Yes, yes, it was it was awesome. How come that judge gets to wear a hat and we don't? Yeah, and it's it's beautiful. And also the second question that I have about this whole book, right? Joe Dredd, yeah, and Rico Dredd, yes, are both cloned, yes, from Judge Fargo, yes. Why? Is Judge Dredd officially referred to as Dredd? Yeah, yep. that's and what I didn't Rico understand Dredd either. Officially referred to as Rico. Well, Rico. well, and that's I'll I'll tell you why because a thousand years ago, yeah. when those characters were originally created, they didn't think about this. Yes. and then when they go back and fill the gaps, I bet you they were faced with the same question, and they were like, "Let's just." <laughs> Instead of just writing Joe on his own, we got to write Dredd, and yep. yeah, I hope everybody Dredd. doesn't Which, know. You know, this. it would make perfect sense for. Eustace to call, especially because they're children, yeah. he calls for, them, for them to call them Joe and Rico, Rico and for yeah. their helmets to say yeah. Joe and Rico. And it wasn't until later that they changed it, right? But now, it's was, like, was Rico, and, and I, I'm sorry, but is Rico's last name also Dread or is it just? It is. And in the tank, you see that it's also okay. Dread. All right. Yes. And Rico is, now I'm saying it as, and my brain is going, wait, is it Rico is actually from some of those earliest stories. I want to say, yeah, I, yeah. I oh, yeah, yeah. There's I, a whole arc like, where he, yeah, Rico, yeah, Rico is like Rico is that thing that judge dread, like the story arc. If I recall, Oh God, it's been so well, long. They talked about it here. Is yeah. He was afraid that Rico got all the bad parts of Eustace's right. Uh, like evil Rico, brother. Yeah. Rico is the judge that goes too far. Yeah. That dread then has to stop. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, He's his own clone. Brother. And it's, and it's kind of that thing where it's like, is like, is Rico going against the system or is he just emblematic of the problem with the system? <laughs> Right. That's and that's I think when Judge Dredd is strong as it's like, we are the law, but what have we become? So uh, although in the original story, Rico was depicted wearing a judge's badge with the name Dredd, some artists in later stories have erroneously drawn him with a badge labeled Rico as that as though it was his surname. This error was also included in a script to to some uh, stories by Gordon uh, Rene. This is possibly based on the confusion with the character Judge Rico, whose surname is Rico, and whose badge therefore bears the name Rico. Oh, yeah. So that would be... Uh, That'll do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's a thing. So, yeah, it may may be one of those continuity drift things. But what also struck me is when the three robots show up, uh, uh, President Booth's nursemaid robots, Uh they are drawn in the style of a different artist. Because that's the way they were originally drawn. And yeah, it's created, really weird yeah. to me. It's really weird to me to see them because they don't look like they belong with all of the rest of the technology and characters in the story. But it's it's that dedication to the history because, oh, yeah. we're, you know, we're dealing with the no, backstory I, here. I like the art. I thought it was really good. I just uh, when you're. Yeah, it's, when you're it's, when it switches like that, to me, and that's it's just the thing like, is oh. like it's it's a different type of art, right? right. It's like we were talking about Joe Madureira mm-hmm. earlier. It's like if you read a comic that goes from Joe Madureira to Umberto Ramos art, right. you're like, okay, I can deal with this transition, right? right? right, right. Giant hands, giant feet, I'm on board. But mm-hmm. this art, this art switch went from Mike kind Vignola. of well, kind of this impressionistic art to this very expressionistic art. Yeah, yeah. yeah. From yes. like a muted palette, um, palette, um, kind of softer lines to like super harsh. This is what this is. Yeah, yeah. This is what you're looking at. Everything's a wide yeah. shot or medium shot. Like mm-hmm. you know, even the 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 layout and everything has this very explicit, straightforward uh, stuff. With um, 
was the second artist uh or with scares arts yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. I it's like going from Mike Mignola to like a Derek Robertson or yeah. mm-hmm. not or, quite or just saying instead of just like say, a Mike Alred just going from yeah my uh Mike Mignola to Mike Alred uh Mike uh Mignola to um uh Ramos well you know that's yeah. kind of the way it felt to True. me Adam, not Adam, saying that either one of them Adam is bad. Hughes to Frank Quitely right yes, it's like it, both of right. them are Bam. great artists but sure. it's that switch that makes you go oh man Frank but Miller to here's John the other Byrne. thing <laughs> here's the other thing. I think the transition would have been easier in the art if the lead up to the boxes arrived and we're sending you on your journey. If that had been done by Kev Walker and then the minute they were outside Mega City One, it switched oh, it over to the other over. so that you had that, that different different environment, different field, different artist. I think that would have been a yeah, nice transition. I but I understand how it didn't work in this book. and and yeah. uh, But – I think bottom line for me, I was not looking forward to reading this book when we got started, uh, when it was, you know, when it hit the pole and, and was the number one. And even when the book started, I was like, oh, do I really want to get into this? Because they're really explaining a lot of yeah. stuff that I'm not it familiar like with for Judge Dredd. It felt didn't need explaining. Yeah. But I will say by the end of the book, I really enjoyed it. Even though it was really long, I really enjoyed the book and I thought it had some good questions to ponder, a good look at society, as we've mentioned before, the last time we read the the, the Judge uh, Dread book. Um, so I liked it and I'm going to say, go buy it. I mean, I bought it. Um, it's digital. You can go check it out. Um, I would definitely go check it out from your library if you can, if the, if your library has it and if they can get it. I know it's available on Amazon if you want to get it from there. Uh, but I, I give it a thumbs up. Rodrigo? I think if you have read other Judge Dredd stuff, especially the earlier stuff, and you like it, and you like kind of the original questions posed by Judge Dredd, then this is a must. If this, if you're thinking of making this your first Judge Dredd uh, purchase, I would say don't. And I, I can't think off with you. I can't think off the top of my head what should be your first Judge Dredd uh purchase but uh, uh, sure um well actually yeah and that one deals with a fair amount of backstory as well without being so explicit about it right right so yeah yeah, sure why not like uh, i'm just saying like again this is dread right Mm -hmm. this is what you want your judge dread story to be is mostly shooting mutants Mm -hmm. um but um this should probably not be your introduction to Judge Dredd because it's going to be because it's it's a backstory filler thing, yeah. and mm-hmm. it's not until the very end of it where it's like, now this is what what Judge Dredd is all about. Story over. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Matthew, what about you? What are your final thoughts on this? I really love a television program called The Venture Brothers. That is all about failure. Failure is explicitly the theme of it. And it is problematic for me because when you have failure as a theme, you get to the end of the story and sometimes it feels anticlimactic. With Judge Dredd, it's not necessarily a failure situation, but more sort of a fait accompli that this, the, the judge yeah, the system people. is doomed, right? The system is doomed. The system is corrupt. The system is terrible from within side. And our hero, our protagonist, is the worst example of the worst of the worst. 
but he's also the guy we're rooting for. So when you get to the end of a Judge Dredd story, sometimes it's hard not to feel like, in this case, that we've just read a 200-page shaggy dog story with one hell of a kicker. Well, they do say early on in the story that, uh, you know, the box, uh, one of the judges goes, this is the MacGuffin. And really, the, <laughs> this whole story, yeah. this whole yeah. story is There's, the MacGuffin. I mean, the the journey to finding Judge yeah. Fargo's body is that's his lampshade yeah. going off. And there, there is some of that here. And I think that I agree with Rodrigo. If this is your first story, that's going to be problematic because you're going to get to the end kind of like I did. And I have a reasonable grounding in Judge Dredd and the way a Judge Dredd story works. And I still kind of got to the end and felt like, oh. But when you really break it down, what this is is a crack in that implacable doom wall. And I think that there's probably going to be more to it down the line. But when you actually read through this, it does feel a little bit like we're kind of going, hey, we promised them 12 episodes and here's 12 episodes. And in a way, that's great because it gives you a lot of dread. It gives you a lot of grounding. It answers questions, even the ones you don't want answered. I would say go read either The Cursed Earth or whatever the first chronological trade yeah, paper so I was gonna, that IDW has. Okay. I was and gonna, I, would, I would say – go ahead. Go ahead. No, finish up. No, you. No, because I've got something that's really long, so go ahead. Oh, okay. Well, when you get to that, once you have a little bit of grounding and you're into this, I think that this will have, first of all, more meaning. And second of all, will be more indicative of what to expect from Judge Dredd, because I feel like there's going to be longer term ramifications of what we see in this story. And I think that without some sort of idea of why the ramifications are important, because really what we see here is, you know, this might be that moment where it sort of starts to edge towards what happened in the Stallone film, which made the mistake of never showing us the established empire before trying to break it all down. I would say this is not a good place to start, but if you like your dread, yeah. this, is, this is a pretty good story. This is, this is funny because IO9 uh, has a uh, listing called the top 11 essential judge dread stories. And what's fascinating is they are just essentially the collected editions. And instead of ranking them from this story is better from worse, they're just like, okay, chronologically, here are the 11 trades that you should read. <laughs> Starts off with the cursed earth saga from 1977, the day the yeah. law uh, died in 1978, the judge child child in 1980, uh, the dark judges in 1980 to 1981, which introduces uh, judge death and judge, judge fear. Then you follow that with uh, book five, uh, Block Mania, The Apocalypse War, then Democracy, Necropolis, uh, Machismo, uh, Origins, Tour of Duty, and Day of Chaos, which wrapped up in 2012. So basically they're recommending that you read every, almost everything, all the collected stuff from 1977 and Read it to all today. and read yeah. it all so in order. Really, they, that, that's basically that was them saying – here is a chronological Judge Dredd for those of you who want to be well-versed in Dredd. However, our editors are forcing us to turn this into a listicle. Pretty much. But they talk about what's essential about each one and what are the big takeaways that we find in this. It's just like any video that Cracked puts out. Mm -hmm. It's like it. It's just like an actual scripted yes. little video interaction between two characters, but it's called mm -hmm. Why Disney Lied to Us on Seven, seven Different Occasions. Yes. <laughs> so here, for example, and this may be a bit of a spoiler for people who want to see the evolution of Dread, but following Volume 9, Origins, uh, we take a two-year jump to Volume 10, uh, 
tour of duty, and they say why it's essential. By this point, Dredd has been transformed into a bit of a liberal, standing up for the oppressed mutant minority, which we saw starting to play out in Origins. So uh, you can see that stuff. Yeah, I mean, Dredd softens up, and it's like, you know, you can say, like, well, he's been driven away from his thing. And and I get that when the mo- as far as the movies are concerned, because you do want that archetypical dread if it's going to be somebody's first experience. Mm-hmm. But I think it makes sense that after, when was this, 1977? After a hundred years yes. of Judge Dredd, yes. that you get dread soften a little bit. to yeah. soften up yeah. or... You know, if he had started out as a softie to harden up, you know, mm-hmm. like uh, any given character in The Walking Dead yeah. who starts out, oh, no, zombies. And 17 pages later, if they themselves are not a zombie, they're like, yeah, and they're just like yeah, shooting, yeah, shooting zombies everything. in the mouth everywhere. Yeah. Right. Yep. So uh, there you go. Those are our thoughts and uh, recommendations about Judge Dread Origins. Uh, you can find a link to this in the show notes if you want to pick it up for yourself over at Amazon.com. A little bit comes back our way and, again, keeps the lights on. I want to thank everyone who is a Major Spoilers VIP. Rodrigo, what's a good cup of coffee costing these days? Oh, Lord. I don't know, but I think... $11 billion. I don't I think, think it's, it's that like, much. I think it's like... A dollar fifty for a z- soda, and that's just like a can. Yeah, it's like super expensive. I'm I'm thinking that you get a good good coffee or something like that. It's like four or five bucks. Yeah. Well, you know what? For the price of a cup of coffee on one day out of the week, you can support Major Spoilers for an entire month. So two, five, ten dollars a month uh, contribution certainly helps us all. Puts money in uh, the cost to run these servers. Top of the month, so we've got to. Pay some server costs. It takes care of rent. It takes care of equipment costs. It takes care of the cost of hosting podcasts. And it puts a little pocket uh, money into the pockets of people who make this content for you week after week and day after day. Mm. Now, here's a little bit of a teaser for this upcoming <gasps> Finally Friday episode. People are always like, Stephen, how come you never use Patreon? Wouldn't Patreon be better than VIP? And I'm going to give you that answer this Friday on Finally Friday. You can check that out uh, live that we do it on the website, 3.30 p.m. Central Time. Uh, 4.30 p.m. Uh, East Coast and whatever time it is in the West. Um, about the time you guys are getting out, up on the West Coast, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, check it out. It's a live call-in show, but I will tell you why uh, we have chosen to go with the our own VIP site instead of going with Patreon. And it makes a lot of sense because it means, essentially, your money is getting the better value by going and signing up and becoming a Major Spoilers VIP. And if you would, point your browsers to members.majorspoilers.com. Sign up today. We would certainly appreciate it for that, you know, cup of cup of coffee change that you have lying around and uh, i think that wraps it up for this issue thank you for listening thank you for being part of the major spoilers experience as i said dr peter coogan comes in next week to talk about iteration it's going to be an interesting topic i think you're going to enjoy it and it puts a lot of things into perspective uh, about comics and television and so many other things things that we love and we know that you love too and we will talk with you soon if I had the X-ray vision of a Superman, I could save a few bucks and stand around and read through the covers of the comics on the stand. But although every other page would be backwards, I suppose, I could still read the evens and the odds. Well, I don't know. Guess I haven't thought this all the way through. Plus, as soon as the comic book store guy knew, he kicked my butt out on the corner. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Way. If I was hulking green or gray, I could just bust through that brick wall, take their comic books away. But then the little me would deal with all the tanks and bombs and guns. Have you ever tried to read a series with all that going on? Guess I need to rethink this plan. How would I back and board my comics with such huge hands? Guess I already told ya. 
what I made you spoiler. What I made you spoiler, yeah, yeah, yeah. What I made you spoiler. What I made you spoiler. If I'm star raving, it's like a man of iron. Might not be surprised to find that I might actually have the heart cold to follow an entire storyline. Would I really even need to read upon all those escapades? I mean, who needs such distractions when your sister's such a babe? But the downside is such a beast. Being shot up in a fine be in the Middle East with a King Santo and soldier. What a major spoiler. What a major spoiler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a major spoiler. Wow, 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 wow. What a major spoiler. This podcast is copyright 2015 by Major Spoilers Entertainment, LLC. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply.